Welcome to the SCD-Specific Carbohydrate Diet Podcast. If something has been eating at you or eating at your gut, then I have good news for you. The Specific Carbohydrate Diet, also known as the SCD, has helped countless people with a wide variety of health issues improve their quality of life. It's also a great way to eat if you just want to go grain-free or stay away from processed foods. Here, you'll find interviews with SCD experts as well as everyday people who actively follow the program, and you'll get tips to help you enjoy living the SCD, including resources, recipes, and more. I'm your host, Lee Bernstein. I live with gut issues. I live with autoimmune issues. And after trying many nutrition protocols, I found that the SCD is what works for me. If that's the same for you, or if you're looking to find out if it is, then let's enjoy living SCD together. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. Nothing on this show is ever medical advice. I'm just someone who's thankful that the specific carbohydrate diet works. I'm thankful that it's given me my life back, and I'm especially thankful and excited about being here with you today. So if you're ready, let's begin. So do you think you know everything about eating gluten-free? Think again. Today's show might just prove you wrong. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lee Bernstein. Welcome back to the SCD-specific carbohydrate diet. Today is going to be all about living a gluten-free lifestyle. Now, for those of you who follow the specific carbohydrate diet, you are already living a gluten-free lifestyle because gluten is strictly forbidden on the SCD program. However, there are those out there that maybe don't follow SCD, that still follow a gluten-free diet, or there are a lot of people that wonder if they should be looking into or following a gluten-free diet. And also, what about testing? What about celiac disease? What about non-celiac gluten intolerance? What's the best way to look at all of that? Today, we're going to be talking to Nadine Griskowiak, RN. B-S-N-C-E-N. Nadine has over 16 years of experience working as a trauma nurse in the emergency departments as a staff and agency nurse. Additionally, she owns and operates three businesses, RN On Call, Inc., Gluten-Free RN, and Celiac Nurse Consulting. Her background in critical care benefits her patients, private patients, as they strive to maintain health and navigate the healthcare system. I don't know if any of you have had a hard time navigating the healthcare system, but I know I sure have, and she's an expert in that as well. Nadine is an international expert consultant, too. She's an author, researcher, and a professional speaker who has presented over 1,800 lectures. Her first book, Donation, A Nurse's Memoir of Celiac Disease from Misdiagnosis to Food and Health Activism was released in 2015. And for those of you who look it up, donation, dough is D-O-U-G-H. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thanks. Nadine, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. um, For those 
listening to Nadine for the first time. She has a podcast. We'll talk about that. She's a wonderful author. We're going to talk about that. I've had the privilege of knowing her for, oh my gosh, I think it's been at least a couple of years. And actually used her, I I used her as a consultant with a lot of the gluten-free issues that I have. So I just have such strong affections for you, Nadine, and I'm welcoming you today. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, Lee, to uh, be here. And also, I think we should both mention that we're knitters, and Ah! that's another way that we've connected. And I bought Lee is a fabulous um, uh, designer of knitting patterns, and I've bought one of those, and I can't wait to make that hat. So, which which hat is it? Do you you remember which hat? It would be either (laughs) the Oso hat or the. the one that, if you have a ponytail, no, it's the Oso hat. It's the Oso hat. Okay, I'm actually yeah, going to be teaching that in a class here in Las Cruces to the Knitting Guild. Here, I'm looking forward to that. Ooh. So, yeah, thank you yeah. for mentioning that. It's 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 a yet another way that we have something in common. So, um, let's talk Absolutely. about you and how you how did you become known as the gluten free RN. Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, it was about 15 years ago, believe it or not. I still have a hard time uh, comprehending that it's been that long. But I was almost dead uh, from undiagnosed celiac disease. Uh, and when I found out I was celiac, sort of, I got a diagnosis, but then they took it away because uh, my blood test was negative. And my skin biopsy was negative for DH or dermatitis herpetiformis. So they actually said, well, you don't really have celiac disease. You have a rash because you scratch your skin and we don't know what's wrong with you. So, um, but I had already been on a gluten-free diet at that point for a couple weeks anyway. And my family noted I clearly was getting better. And so I stayed on the diet, and within three months, I was so much better. I started my first business, which is RN on Call. And within another month, I was so horrified by what I found out about celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity, I decided to become the gluten-free RN. And so I've been trademarked as the gluten-free RN for right about 15 years at this point. That's not an easy way to get a wonderful trademark and to get a wonderful reputation. You really had to go through heck. Now, before yeah. before we go a little bit further, I just want to talk to everyone and, uh, a li- about why, even if you haven't been diagnosed as being gluten intolerant, it is imperative that you listen to this interview today. A couple of reasons. One is you might be gluten intolerant and you don't know it, just like Nadine was, just like I am. I'm not going to go bore you with that story of mine. but And two, on the specific carbohydrate diet, gluten is absolutely forbidden. And uh, it, it's important that when you are looking at gluten that you know all the ins and outs. It's more than just, oh, this is naturally gluten-free. I can eat it. No, and we're going to talk about that today. So anyone who's following the specific carbohydrate diet really needs to listen to this carefully. But also, if you're a listener and you don't follow the SCD, but you do follow a gluten-free diet, you might just find that there's some wonderful information here or information you might want to share with other people. 
So how does a person know Nadine? And it's so I'm sure it's okay if I'm calling you Nadine. I know you have a lot of credentials, but <laughs> she's a fan. Um, you can call me anything, but <laughs> it's quite all right. Nadine works perfectly well. How does a person get tested for gluten intolerance? And what are the signs that might show them that they might be gluten intolerant? Oh, that's a, those are big questions. Um, and there's, there are reasons for that. There is no cut and dry way to get tested for celiac disease at this point in history. Um, there's lots of good labs. Um, some are conventional and some are what some would term alternative or um, not in the mainstream, but they're all valid um, for different things. So uh, where to start with the testing? I like to request that people get a gene test for celiac disease proper. And right now, uh, I recommend Kashi Lab. And it's K-A-S-H-I-L-A-B.com. And it's just a cheek swab. So it's a cheek swab, $135. They will send you a test kit. You'll uh, do your cheek swab and send it in. And they'll send you four alleles back. And it's really important to have all four alleles, not just a report that says you don't carry DQ2 or DQ8 and therefore you will never develop celiac disease. That's not at all very accurate or great information. And so you're paying for these lab tests and these gene tests. You want the best information possible. And each person gets two genes, uh, two from their mom and two from their dad, and you need that information, all of it to determine whether you're, uh, would be celiac proper or non-celiac gluten sensitive um, at this point in history. But we're going to figure more of that out as we go along in the future. So it's always been told that you, you're, um, it has to be an HLA-DQ8 or an HLA-DQ2 in a gene test to show that you may be predisposed, well, you you could, you are predisposed to celiac disease. It doesn't mean right. that you have it. Right. So, But I'm hearing from you that it's more than just um, eight or two, that you can have celiac disease and not come back with those, with that um, gene? Well, we are writing a, and we're getting a research article published that challenges that and that actually is going to request that more information, more studies be done um, in order to really figure out uh, what genes are involved with celiac disease on the Mm -hmm. HLA-DQ loci. So we want to make sure that people are not being missed just because the definition of celiac disease is too narrow for the genes. Yes which I find all the, all of the time. Um, and because at least 50% of the population carry the DQ2 and the DQ8 genes, think about that for a second. They carry those genes, they are at risk for developing celiac disease at any time in their life if they are eating gluten. It's not just that 1% of the population develops celiac disease uh, at any given time, Right. Right, um, and right. we know it's at least 3% at this point due to Dr. Lou's test, LIU, at the University of Denver. It's at least 
3% of the population. And that's the pediatric population. That doesn't take into account adults or older adults. So um, again, many, many more studies that are focused need to be done on celiac disease and identification of what that is. I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad uh, because I've said for years, and I'm no scientist, I'm no expert, but I have what is classified as non-celiac gluten intolerance, and we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything about my body mimes celiac disease, with the exception of my upper villi in my intestinal tract are not destroyed or damaged. Right. But I get the mouth lesions, <laughs> I get the brain fog, I get the oh. neuropathy, I get uh, the diarrhea, I the, the, the constipation, mm-hmm. just depending on the kind of day I'm in. I get all of those symptoms and I get them so severely that I, I and, and I was originally told, oh, you don't have celiac disease, you can eat all the gluten you want. Uh, excuse me, but if I do... I get so, so sick, and I've said that I really feel that gluten intolerance is yet another autoimmune disease. They just haven't put their finger on that yet and said that it is. What What are your thoughts on that? Mm, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, number one, we're writing a textbook on celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity, um, that's been in the works for the last six years. So it takes a long time to work, to write a textbook and we are working on it. Uh, just so you know, we'll, everything will be a lot clearer once that comes out. Um, but I, I really have a lot of patients that are, or clients, whatever you want to call these lovely people that are, have been suffering for decades or years. Um, a lot of people that are deemed to be non-celiac gluten sensitive that are much sicker than my people that are celiac. Uh, It just depends. And you said you're, you don't have damage in your, that's identified in your, um, your duodenum or your small intestine, but that tube is like 30 feet long, right? So you have damage in your mouth, which is damage to your GI tract. You probably have maybe some eosinophilic esophagitis, uh, some people do, which is also indicative of celiac disease or non-celiac gluten sensitive. Uh, Is that the same as GERD? It's not the same as GERD. It's a little different. GERD is um, acid reflux. Um, All of these things get better on a gluten-free diet. And, you know, we have to tweak a number of other things because of the damage that gets done, depending on where that damage does happen. And unfortunately... Celiac disease has fallen under the auspices of the gastroenterologist, where primarily it's a neurologic disease. So you had mentioned like constipation, headaches, neuropathy, things like that are neurologic, which is much more prevalent. And taking into account that your GI tract, your intestines, your abdomen has its own nervous system, which is called the enteric nervous system. So if you have damage to your intestines, it can be neurologic and maybe not show damage to your um, the architecture of your villi. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. That's why and, I do that because so, it is fascinating. 
So now a person has decided that they're going to go to the expense of having a gene test done. They get it back. They are not a DQ2 or a DQ8. And and really, maybe nothing is indicative of celiac the way we now think of it. But Mm -hmm. they know that they're very possibly gluten intolerant. What, What is the next step that they take? Um. I would, I always like to see people's gene tests to um, maybe advise them a little different, differently than they would be from the standard Western medicine practitioner that maybe doesn't know a lot about the gene test uh, per se. Uh, Keeping in mind that these genes are worldwide, there's no ethnic group that is spared (laughs) <laughs> the celiac genes or the HLA-DQ uh, genes, uh, everybody carries two sets of them. And uh, you know, it's noted in other populations, uh, primarily in India, there's some research coming out that finds that they're finding a lot of celiac there, but most of the people there are DQ6 or DQ7. So I'm DQ6. I'm double I know. DQ6. I know you are. I know. So I thought you might be interested in that. <laughs> so, oh, ding, 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 ding. The light bulbs are going off. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. You're wow. a homozygous DQ6. So, I'm a homozygous DQ2.5 with seronegative uh, blood work and a, a biopsy, skin biopsy that was done incorrectly. Um, but I'm very clearly celiac, right? Um, so, the, if I would have listened to my doctors, I would have been dead. Um, but I didn't because I'm a nurse. And so it's really important that people get the right information. And I deal every day with people that are given information that gives them no hope or they're like, I'm just doomed to have these things wrong with me. I'm going to have GERD and I'm going to have uh, Crohn's and I'm going to have all these things wrong with me. And there's no hope because uh, the doctors just don't know. Right. Because um, I hear that story every day. And we get people on a, you know, on a gluten-free diet, on a paleo diet, on a specific carbohydrate diet, whatever they need um, for whatever time period. Uh, For some people, it's a low FODMAP diet and uh, for a short period of time, and they get better. And really, as a nurse, there's nothing better than changing people's diet and they get better, right? Because it's relatively easy. Uh, and people can do it at home. There's no drugs, there's no surgery, there's nothing that is, you know, they don't, you know, they might need some help, they might need some advice, they might need some, uh, you know, a couple books to, cookbooks, uh, especially to, uh, to figure some of this stuff out. And it is a lifestyle change, but then they get better. I've had people that are, you know, diagnosed with Crohn's disease, or they have uh, bloody stools or GI bleeding or however you want to put it. And suddenly they don't have Crohn's anymore. So they're in complete remission. They don't have to take their really toxic medications that they've taken for 30 years and they gain weight. They look better. Their skin looks better. And it's a vast improvement. And if you don't feed yourself what your body needs, or you feed yourself a toxin, your body's going to tell you one way or another. Yeah, that you're, it's it either going to make you sick or it's going to make you better. Yeah, it's going to make you better. You know, just a reminder too: there are a lot of people with celiac disease that are actually non-reactive. So if they are ingesting um, gluten mm. by mistake, 
They don't know it because their body doesn't react. I know it very quickly because I'm highly sensitive. So, you know, just because you might not be feeling those symptoms doesn't mean that you don't have celiac disease. I, I just, you know, every usually, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nadine, I'm not a doctor, but I've read in many places that usually if a person has one autoimmune disorder, chances mm-hmm. are they might very well have or develop another. They might just not be aware of it. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Well, you're, okay. you're, you're messing with your, if your intestines are damaged, your immune system is damaged because 70 to 90% of your immune system is in your intestines between, you know, the barriers and your lymph system. Um, so it's, it really is going to show up if your intestines are damaged and nobody can see what your intestines look like, right? You can't, you can't put your own little scope down there and see what they look like if there's inflammation or you have villus atrophy. Right. Colonoscopy. up some way. (laughs) Right. Colonoscopy. That has to be done by a doctor, which is one of the first first courses of action for a lot of GI doctors to do when, when they're looking to see if you have um, any, um, disruption right. to your intestinal tract. So unfortunately why? it's the first thing. You know, there's lots of other ways to approach it. But yeah, that's typically yeah, what a GI yeah. doc is going to do. Let's let's also talk a little bit about um what do they call it when you take yourself off of gluten for like 8 weeks, 6 to 8 weeks. A gluten challenge, I think is what I've heard it called. Um, well, when you take yourself off, it's basically you're on a gluten-free diet. Um, and people but if do they... that. Yeah, people do it because they've been told by a doctor that they need a colonoscopy. If they have already been off gluten, very often they're told you need oh, to go back on back it. Back on gluten. Yes, before that's we could not do this my test, favorite. <laughs> that is what I did. That's what is long before I knew you. That is what happened to me. And as sick as I was before having to force feed myself gluten every day, even though it was small amounts. I was so much sicker after. I mean, after. ridiculous how, how my body rebelled against that. But I thought that I had to do it. I thought that if I was having a, um, and what, what is the upper intestinal tract uh, test? And uh, endoscopy. EGD, endoscopy, yeah. It, that if I was having an endoscopy, I had to start eating gluten again. Only to find out later by listening to your podcast that that's not necessarily the case. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I might be one of the only practitioners that is vehemently opposed to doing a gluten challenge. Um, there's a couple other practitioners I know, um, but the tenant, the you know, Hippocrates said, "Do no harm." And here you're taking people that we know are, they know are gluten intolerant or celiac one way or another, right? And they're making them eat the thing that has caused them organ damage, whether intestinally or neurologically or um, skin, right? So your skin is your external, an external expression of whatever's going on internally. So if you have rashes and itchy spots or acne or whatever it's diagnosed as it's it's your intestines look like that too so he, you're the physicians unfortunately want to diagnose celiac disease with an endoscopy the, this whole thing with a gluten challenge is fraught 
with potential error on every front. So how long does it take? How much would you have to eat? Uh, do you make children do a gluten challenge to prove they have celiac disease? Um, we know you can cause irreparable damage, which means that if I did that, okay, I got hit with gluten three times um, in a short period of time. I ended up with pulmonary edema. I, wow. I had been clean, climbing, climbing mountains and um, doing all kinds of things, super physically fit. I get hit with gluten three times unintentionally, and I ended up having to sleep in a recliner for a long time, like seven days, because I couldn't breathe and my lungs were filling up with fluid. Um, so I'm a nurse and I can manage that. It scared the ever-loving bejeebies out of me. And hopefully I, I don't get hit with gluten again. But I cannot imagine me in any way, shape, or form saying, you have to eat gluten again so that I can prove that you have celiac disease, even though not, we're not very good at it, um, with not very good tests. And we don't know all of the details for every individual person. And so, but you have to do this because it's required. Uh, we're going to cause organ damage. So that, you know, um, ooh, that really is barbaric and unethical and I would say immoral. <laughs> no one should ask anyone to do a gluten challenge. And I am 100% opposed to it. If people want to do it, so if they think they what need someone it. what do then? Go ahead. So the uh, the option then is just completely taking yourself off of gluten. And if you could list keeping off of gluten, and if you feel good, you just go with it. Go with is it. That... You can always get a gene test, right? Um, that's right. always an option. It may, it's, it's not diagnostic for celiac disease, but it will tell you if you're at risk for it, right? And um, mm -hmm. none of, like I said, it's information. We're putting these puzzle pieces together. And if you feel better, you're a gene carrier, you know, we just take that information. And if you're clearly better on a gluten-free diet, if, you know, if that's all it takes, then please don't eat gluten anymore. We know it causes inflammation in everyone. And of course, you know, it's still very important that everyone listen to their doctor and follow what their doctor has to say. Absolutely. But this is certainly a good, a good point of conversation with a doctor. You know, gather all the information. Say that you would rather not put your body through that if that's the case. I mean, rem always remember, everybody, your doctor is working for you. Yeah. You're the boss. You're the boss. <laughs> You're the boss of that doctor, even though it seems the, uh, the opposite way. And so asking questions or going for second opinions or even consulting with someone like Nadine, who can give you some suggestions and some things to think about, um, which is still a heck of a lot cheaper than going through medical tests, you know, just explore and, and do what you think is best for your body. So and for yourself, yeah. In addition to all, and for yourself, yes. And in addition to all of the things that you've you've said already, tell us some reasons why being on a strict 100% gluten-free or grain-free diet can be so important to a person's health. Even a breadcrumb will trigger the same immune response and cause damage, uh, whether you feel it or not. Uh, on a very cellular level, um, even a breadcrumb or a dusting of flour will trigger the same 
cellular reaction. And so it's extremely important to be 100% gluten-free all of the time, 100% of the time. And it's lifelong, right? It doesn't go away. So people will potentially develop what's called RCD, which is refractory celiac disease. And it's essentially lymphoma or bowel cancer. And if anything, we can, you know, let's talk about prevention. If we can prevent those things from happening or any other type of cancer, you know, like I run into a lot of people with throat cancer or esophageal cancer. These are very odd cancers, by the way, Uh, stomach cancer. Um, If we can prevent any of those, uh, ideally, let's do it. You know, rectal cancer or um, bowel cancer. I've given talks to groups where, you know, they've already had um, colostomy bags and whatnot, and they they inevitably will say, these people, um, how come nobody told us about this information before? You know, we had all these very difficult um, surgeries and life-altering events. And, you know, it's, they're malignant tumors. They're not benign. So let's talk about prevention. And the only way to do that is to be 100% gluten-free. And what we find in the research articles is that, you know, we talk about refractory celiac disease, but it tends to be people that are still consuming gluten or are exposed to it environmentally. And so that's, you know, environmentally would be things where you're working in a bakery and you're breathing it in because you don't just breathe things in, right? It's not that it just goes to your lung. It goes to the back of your throat and you swallow it. So if you're breathing in uh, flour or, um, you know, pizzerias or bakeries or anything like that, and if you're breathing it in, you're swallowing it, therefore you're consuming it. Uh, Be really clear about that. And the same thing for farmers. And the study that I'm uh, referencing was done in Scotland because they found that two farmers were uh, had RCD or refractory celiac disease and the nurses actually went out to their homes and yes in fact they were eating gluten-free their diet was gluten-free but then they went out to their barn and they're feeding their animals you know the horses and everything else grains so whether it's on your hands and you're touching everything else or you're breathing it in it doesn't matter so your environment has to be gluten-free interesting right yeah that's a really it's such a such a big deal because it not not everyone always thinks about that that i mean the thing about the farmer is fascinating right yeah that's all it took was you know changing what the animals eat wow yeah and so there's another thing with with dog food and the push for animals you know cats and dogs to eat grain which they've never eaten in history ever um Green, and those studies, by the way, were all put out by the grain industry or the pet food industry um, that said that dogs and cats will get cardiac issues if they don't eat grain. Uh, Sorry, it just doesn't hold water. Um, But pet food is another way that people are getting contaminated. Now, we just got a puppy and they're, you know, between the licking and the Uh, washing of the bowls and everything else. If I was feeding my dog or my puppy 
dog food and I was washing that out with the, you know, in, at the sink, I would get exposed to those grains, right? So right, exactly. It's a it's one of those ways that we find that people are still getting contaminated is the pet food. Now, for those people that might be listening that are lucky enough to absolutely know 100% that they are not gluten intolerant and that they are able to eat wheat, that's a whole nother podcast. There are a lot of people out there that feel like it should be eliminated no matter what. And then others that say, hey, if you can eat it, go for it. We're not talking about the people that are absolutely safe in eating gluten. We're talking about those who either aren't sure or that are following like the SCD where really you need to eliminate that, everybody, you know? And we're not mm-hmm. always thinking about the dog food and these little environmental things that are actually huge. Um, so what are other causes of gluten contamination? Oh, that's a good question. So personal care products, believe it or not, it matters what you put on your skin. Uh, it takes 28 seconds to absorb uh, whatever you're putting to your bloodstream. So a lot of doctors will say those gluten proteins are too large to get through your skin and into your intestine <laughs> to cause damage. Um, well, they don't actually have to get into your intestine. Um, it wreaks havoc on every organ in your body. And if it's in your bloodstream, those gluten proteins or any component of the, the grains, you know, the uh, gluten and the gluten, they're broken down. Those proteins are fractionated. Uh, They're in the oil, you know, wheat germ oil is in a lot of products, including mascara or shampoo or uh, lipstick. It's cheap filler. So any of those things can be causing contamination. Unfortunately, our partners can sometimes be causing uh, contamination if they're continuing to eat gluten and either by kissing you or by the very intimate... uh, connections that we have Uh, body fluids will carry those proteins we know they're in breast milk we know they're in everything else if we're peeing them out and pooping those proteins out they're in every body fluid a continue you know this is just another way that people are being contaminated Um, does it mean you know you just we just have to have partners that love us and are going to help take care of us and then they get better also all right, I'm just going to be really open and open here. So if you have a partner and you're going to be having normal sex, I'm not going to go into all the other different ways or anything. You're just going to sure. have sex. How many hours needs to go by from when that person, that your partner ate gluten to when you feel like you could do it without having an issue? Any idea? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. And I would say it's, I don't know if it's a time thing. (laughs) Um, That's a good question. That study should be done. Yeah. I mean, I I never even thought about that, really. You know, that 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 could be another way that a person, we're not trying to scare everybody. We want you to live a very normal life. But it is something to think about for those people that, that, you know, they keep getting reactions and they can't figure out why. You know, these are all things to take a look at and and consider rather seriously. And this is, Um, you know, I have to be a, a... a stealthy investigator when I go in and I have somebody that's whose numbers are not coming down on the 
um, celiac antibody panel or they're still having symptoms. And it can be very tricky to find out where they're still getting gluten. Uh, but if their spouse is still bringing in bread or, um, you know, the, the silverware uh, drawer, the, the bread box is right above the silverware drawer. Um, the cat food, which contains grain, is on the, you know, on the counter. Um, these are all ways that people are still going to get contaminated, unfortunately. And but it, you have to be very, you know, um, very careful. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of people out there. I've actually talked to a number of people over the last couple of months that have been saying, I'm trying to figure out where this all of this cross-contamination is coming from. I know I'm getting it. I just don't know where. Toothpaste is another one, yes? Uh, yeah, and so is mouthwash. And <laughs> it's it's very tricky, and it's very cheap to put in products. So it's it, these projects don't need wheat, or they don't need anything, you know, wheat-derived, obviously, because there's plenty of gluten-free products, but it's a cheap filler. So the the wheat or the wheat germ oil or whatever it is, uh, hydrolyzed wheat protein, will be in these products because it's a cheap filler. Um, just a, a little reminder to people, too, that they don't always say in in beauty products and they don't always say that it's wheat or wheat germ that they're putting into the product. A lot of times they use the term tocopherol. Mm -hmm. And tocopherol is another word for um, vitamin, vitamin E. e. And a lot of vitamin E is derived from wheat germ. So when you see tocopherol, if it doesn't say tocopherol acetate, which means it's a fake form of vitamin E, it's always worthwhile calling the company to make sure that their uh, their source is absolutely gluten-free. I actually had a celiac conference, a gig conference that I attended a few years back. And there was someone there selling these wonderful honey skin products. <laughs> and one of the first ingredients was vitamin E. And everybody's asking the guy, is there wheat in it? He had no clue. And he was there at the at conference. Yep. <laughs> so you got to watch everything. Um. Looking for look, looking for certifications on gluten-free products, something like Which is still a, a tricky issue in itself. And I don't want to bring, you know, I, don't, I obviously don't want to scare people. Um, don't listen to this if, you, if you're not ready to hear it or just forget it. But there's a lot of products that are certified gluten-free that still contain barley or something else, which I don't understand. But please just read those labels. Uh, call the company if you have time and you are inclined to do that. But um, when I see I, a kombucha comes to mind that actually had uh, roasted barley in it, I don't know why that's necessary, but it did, and it was certified gluten-free. So, hmm, probably not gluten-free. Um, but there's a lot of things. Uh, the current or the rules in Europe are is it cannot carry these products cannot have any wheat, barley, rye, or any derivative of them uh, in these products. But here in the United States, if it tests to less than 20 parts per million, um, then it can be labeled gluten-free, which is not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the food manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Uh, and that 20 parts per million 
you know, Ooh. there's so much that goes into it. How often are they testing the line? Maybe this one came at under 20 ppm, but tomorrow they'll pull it off the line and it won't. Uh, it's also something that you brought up on your podcast was that you're not always thinking about how many servings you might be eating. Right. So if one serving is less, and let's say it really is less than 20 parts per million, but you have three servings. Yep. Now let's say they're each 19 parts per million. Now you're close to 60 parts per million and you're not really thinking about that. Right. Not at all. Why would you? Right. So, but you're still getting the damage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we do call it contamination. We stopped calling it cross contamination uh, because it's just contamination. Um, Cross contamination is, uh, it's going to go by the wayside. People, I still hear it all the time and it's still perfectly fine to say it, but just cut to the chase and say you're being contaminated. Okay. By gluten. Okay. Very good. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier. And that's what it, it is. It's just contamination. It right. Um, what about, And so certified gluten-free. Now, that means that it's 10 parts per million or less, correct? Correct. And correct. does gonna, that... Go ahead. Well, you're just going to start to see a lot of uh, companies come in and certifying things. And again, it's for the food industry. It's not for your benefit. Um. So you just have to be cautious, and that's why I do recommend many times that people are just on a whole food diet, uh, get reestablished with what whole food looks like, and uh, avoid products as much as possible, or eat things that have the fewest amount of ingredients in them if you are going to eat a product. Very good. Um, so someone that's on a gluten-free diet, what does it do for their health? their immune system, their mental health, uh, those that really need to be gluten-free, what type of changes do they see? You talked a little bit about seeing tremendous changes in people that you've worked with. Talk to us a little bit more about that. What what does everyone have to look forward to? (laughs) Um, Generally speaking, now keep in mind that right now, currently, I work in the mental health community, uh, that my job, my paying job is as a nurse in a mental health facility. So Unfortunately, I see what they eat, what they've been fed. And I also know that people um, in 1958 and 1966, uh, they determined there's a clear link to gluten or grains or cereals and schizophrenia and mental health disorders. We haven't really come, we've gone backwards um, when I see what these people are eating or being fed. Uh, So... Generally speaking, when people get better, when they go on a gluten-free diet, they do get better. Um, And that can be anything from their skin improves. um, uh, For men, it could be their PSA goes down or their erectile dysfunction goes away. Uh, For for women, it can be they have uh, less pain with their periods. They have uh, abdominal um, bloating that goes away. They have less gas. They have less diarrhea or constipation, constipation being a neurologic issue. So it's not a lack of fiber and water if you have constipation, it's the uh, paralysis of your intestines. So normally you have peristalsis. So sometimes that takes longer for the neurologic symptoms to heal and improve. Uh, But overall, people feel better, their 
brain fog goes away. They can think clearer. Their irritability improves, so they stop being so irritable. Uh, whatever your symptom is, it generally is going to improve. Some people that happens in a week or less, and you know they can start to feel or uh, see improvements. Other people, it takes over a year. It just depends. Everybody's different, and there's so many different factors. Okay. Um, I, I know that I've talked to a lot of people who neurologically were so bad, and I was one of them, that you could, mm. I could barely walk. And they mm-hmm. were amazed. They were absolutely amazed. And, ju- and again, I hear, why didn't my doctor tell me this? Why didn't he suggest that I eat differently? They were be on all kinds of stuff for all, you know, all kinds of medications. And it just was eliminating gluten that got them to the other side. Mental health, that's a really important one. Um, of course, overall health is important as well. But when I'm hearing you talk about mental health and you're working in a mental health institution, you're seeing what people are eating, you're knowing that it might not be the best way to approach um, their diet. What? I mean, and a lot of them probably don't have family members that can ask on their behalf. I would imagine, though, that now someone's listening to this podcast, they're realizing they might want to change the diet of a of a loved one, family member. They can go in and they can talk to the dietary staff, or is it that easy? Does a doctor mm. have to order it? <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Um, if you can imagine, pretty much every day, I recommend that someone gets tested for celiac disease. Um, And I have the ears of some of the doctors and they will do the correct testing and other doctors, uh, not so much. So they're much more reluctant and they don't understand what the testing entails. Uh, They think they know what the standard is, but uh, clearly they, they're not following it. Um, And so it is, number one, difficult even for me to get the correct testing uh, for my patients. um, But it it is possible. It just is very difficult. Um, And it's also difficult to get the dietitians to feed the people, even the ones that are identified as celiac, with... um, As long as you can still hear me, it's okay. I can't see you right at this point. I, I don't know what you. happened. Okay, good. Um, so it is difficult to get people tested in a mental health facility. It's unfortunately more difficult. There you are. It's um, more, way more difficult than it should be to get people fed correctly. And I, I tell practitioners every day, I'm like, this person will never get better. They're only going to get worse if you do not if they do not follow a gluten-free diet and it's medically ordered. And um, so I I put up a good fight, but it's still the default is always, well, they're an adult. They can choose what to eat. But if, so I wish I had a unit where I could just feed people, be in charge of what they ate and um, help people make decisions and get educated appropriately. Um, It's probably not going to happen, but that's okay. I, I do try. And I have worked Good with for several, you. I know. <laughs> we I, need I, more people I, like you. <laughs> more often than not, I can um, have conversations with employees 
And several of the employees have uh, made astounding health recoveries from things that they just thought they were going to have to be on disability for or, um, you know, have a liver transplant. Uh, and they get better. They feel better. Their skin looks better. Their mental health gets better. Um, literally, there's staff that are suicidal <laughs> and they're not suicidal anymore. <sighs> And I'm sure if this is going on in mental health facilities, it's going on like crazy in nursing homes. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And, oh, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for being an advocate out there for all of us. And uh, hopefully some some of these people do have family members that can work as advocates for them. They can go in and that would say, be and again, you know, you want to know how to do that. Nadine's a good person to call. She could certainly tell you the, the hoops that you need to jump through. And there will be a few of them to try to make the right things happen. But support is out there for people that are learning how to do it. You know, we talk a lot on the show, Nadine, about microbiome. And oh. the importance of microbiome. I mean, it comes up all <laughs> the time. But I and so many others agree, you can't talk about it too much. People really need to understand what microbiome are, how it impacts your overall health. Um, and again, you know, your mental health, everything that we were just talking about. Let's let's go right into the nutrient part of it. What are macro so your microbiome we'll define that first very quickly and then let's talk about what are macronutrients as opposed to micronutrients and the deficiencies that can go along with that okay so one's nutrition and one is more physiologic right so the macronutrients are things like carbohydrates which we talk about all the time on the specific carbohydrate diet um, protein and fat and the micronutrients would be anything else, the vitamin D, A, D, E, and K, which are your fat solubles, and then your other vitamins, uh, all the Bs, uh, which are extremely important uh, for your mental health also, um, primarily. And um, let's see, geez, there's so many. There's so, so many good. micronotes, you know, copper, zinc, everything. So at the very least, take a, a gluten-free supplement, multivitamin. But then if you really want to get tested, um, there's micronutrient uh, tests you can take. There's um, any of your basic blood work will give you things like magnesium, but also get a magnesium RBC, which is the red blood cell, because uh, it's much more important um, how much magnesium you have in your red blood cells. Now, uh, Switching over to microbiome, anybody that is celiac or has had any antibiotics in their life or has achlorhydria or hypochlorhydria, which means that your stomach acid isn't acidic enough, is going to have a bad, is going to have an overgrowth of what we call bad microbiome or dysbiosis. There'll be an overgrowth of bacteria or yeast or many different. Um, microbiome that don't necessarily benefit you or are harmful. Now, there's a lot of bacteria and there's a lot of um, talk on the CDC. You can go to the CDC web website. They came up with an update in 2019 of bacteria, antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Again, your immune system is in your intestines. 
your health is all about the health of your intestines and your microbiome. A lot of us, now myself included, uh, I will say, you know, I was a C-section baby, I was bottle fed. And so the seeding of the original microbiome that I potentially could have gotten from my mom uh, never happened, right? This was in 1966, a long time ago. But thankfully, you know, I kind of grew up on a farm, benign neglect, we had dogs, um, you know, so I picked up pretty good microbiome that allowed me to stay somewhat healthy and alive uh, for a number of decades until I almost died when I was 40. But the, the microbiome itself, so you can be too clean. You can use too much of that hand sanitizer, which I don't recommend. Uh, you can uh, wipe out your good microbiome with antibiotics or bad food, okay? Uh, things that are not going to benefit your body. So my job right now for myself is to build super good microbiome in my intestines and on my skin and in my, you know, in my sinuses and everywhere I can. You have microbiome everywhere. It's not just in your intestines. It's everywhere in the universe. It's We're much more microbiome than we are even human cells. Whatever those are, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Science is so fabulous. Um, and it, it just takes so long for good ideas to get tested and things, to, good information to come out. Um, but getting back to the microbiome, so if you've taken antibiotics and you, your, micro, your good microbiome are uh, damaged or destroyed or you have a dysbiosis of bad bacteria or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, there's many different terms, or yeast overgrowth, which many people do, but they don't know it. If you crave sugar, <laughs> you know, people that are on a specific car carbohydrate diet, you know, they have to be very specific about what small amounts of sugar that you're consuming. It has to be honey, basically, is it boiled honey, honey or right. naturally occurring. If you buy if you eat an apricot, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so you have to be very careful about that, right? Other and so one of the benefits of that is you're already not feeding the yeast. Okay. Um which is if you are if you're if you're using honey, are you feeding the yeast or no? Do you know? It, it just depends, but I would say uh it's it's negligible. Uh, okay. For so I I wouldn't worry about it. The um, microbiome is a big topic, and I love it. But the thing is, is that if your microbiome aren't healthy, if your immune system isn't healthy, and we're already in the era of antibiotic resistance to the point of we have bacteria that are resistant to any and all antibiotics. It's, it behooves us as human beings to make sure we have the healthiest intestines ever, and, which means we, our villi are intact and healthy and we're absorbing nutrients. And we also are harboring a very diverse population of microbiome. Very. So I also talk a lot about fecal microbial transplants for people that have things like C. diff or Clostridium difficile, which is potentially fatal. Uh, you can check all this information out on the CDC website, which I always am, am, implore people to get the information. Do research on your own um, and critically think about what you're reading and who is putting forth the information, right? So even if you're eating meat, so I, I just picked up some hamburger 
because we are big meat eaters in this family. We are, our house is 100% gluten-free. Um, we're on our version of a paleo diet. We eat extremely well. But I picked up beef from Farmer Dave, who's a very good friend of mine, and he feeds us, right? But I, the number one question I always ask him is, does this beef ever, you know, did the cows ever get antibiotics or hormones? And his answer for, for a number of years now has been no. There's no antibiotics, no hormones, um, and it's all 100% grass-fed. Those things are extremely important to me, and he knows that. And he's like, all my clients, this is what they ask me. Um, because if the animals are fed hormones or given antibiotics, then you are consuming them, which is further going to disrupt your microbiome. Okay. So 15 years ago, when I started this whole journey of being on a gluten-free diet, I uh, never would have imagined that it would have, you know, I would be talking about microbiome or grass-fed beef, or the importance of quality food, um, you know, organic. Uh, but this is this is how everything has evolved for very good reason, because I, I do my research. So. Yeah, and you do. Thank God. And <laughs> But yeah, I mean, those antibiotics and a lot of people now are aware that buying organic beef is important because of the antibiotics and that if you ingest it in beef, you're still ingesting it. It still can mess you up, even if you've never had to take an antibiotic in your life. Um, yeah. So just a reminder to everyone that if you can do it and you can do the organic way, it really will probably benefit you quite, quite a bit. Your intestines are 70 to 90% of your immune system, right? Mm-hmm. Your GI tract. So it's your, it's your GI entire- tract. I mean, 70 to 90% of your immune system, that's huge. Huge. Why, why should people be aware of how much that matters? Mm-hmm. Well, number one, it is your health. It's, it's your body's ability to fight off infection. It's your body's ability to absorb nutrients and keep your entire entity healthy it's your ability of your intestines to keep your brain healthy. Uh, because if you can't absorb, you know, they used to diagnose children in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s with celiac disease um, with a fecal fat score, you know, because they, they would not be absorbing fat. And if you don't absorb fat, you can't absorb any other nutrients, your fat solubles included, but then you're starving, right? So it's incredibly important that anybody that is celiac or has had fat malabsorption to eat a super good high-fat diet. And I hear the keto thing all the time, and I don't like it. But all I want is people to realize that you have to be on a super good high-fat diet, be able to absorb that fat appropriately. And and by super good fat, I mean things like avocados, olive oil, saturated fat from grass-fed beef and lamb and fish, things like that, not the seed oils or the vegetable oils at all, um, because that's your brain health. Okay? Right. That's and your those, nervous those other oils are allowed on SCD, but a lot of us have learned that we choose oils that are really a lot, the, the healthiest oils for us. The healthiest like the oils, one. right. Right. Uh, not the industrial oils, as we like to call them sometimes. Right, um, right. Because they feed your brain. and. You know, overall, 
your mental health is so important, but we're also learning that you have a lymphatic system in your brain, right? So that's part of your immune system also. So we're, we're fascinating beings. And if anybody tells you they know exactly how everything works, you go, yeah, thank you very much. We're still learning uh, <laughs> yeah. new stuff every day. Um, whether you get that new stuff or whether you get a, a watered down version of the new information, uh, you just really have to investigate and find the information and the sources of the information that you trust and is going to benefit you. All right. So uh, someone has decided they're going to follow the specific carbohydrate diet or or and or um, they want to really go gluten free but they don't want to be so overwhelmed in the beginning that they don't even start. What advice would you give for people that are now going gluten-free just to make sure that the very basics are are in place and then they can always go through and continue to improve from there? Sure. One way to really quickly and easily uh, start a gluten-free diet and kind of like a gut reset is to do either juicing or make smoothies for a couple weeks. Number one, it takes all the gluten out of your diet, right? Um, or do some version of a uh, very basic paleo type diet. So you're eating meat, fish and eggs, if you can, uh, nuts and seeds, if you can, and fruits and veggies, whatever is on your di- you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Keeping in mind for a lot that, of uh, for a lot of people on SED, it's just maybe meat and non-starchy vegetables to start. Perfect. Or, um, yeah, you know things like that, and they keep a diary actually sometimes. Yeah. Just make sure, yeah. So just just take keep it simple. In other words, stay away from the processed foods. Keep it simple. If it's in a package and it has an ingredient list, stay away from it <laughs> uh, at this point. But, the, you know, there's there's some good thing products that uh, have one ingredient. Like, I always go back to the coconut milk that I get is one ingredient. It's coconut milk. What uh, brand? And it's organic. That? It's Aroy D. It's out of Thailand. And it's A- Ooh, no, A-R-R-O-Y apostrophe D. Uh, it's in a green box. They come in. You can find it anywhere. Asian stores carry it, of course. Um, it's cheaper there. Um, but co-ops and... You can order it online. It's it, it's for me. It's the best coconut milk that there is, and I use excellent. it almost every day. Oh, excellent! Uh, and coke, very healthy for you. That's one of those healthy excellent. fats that we were talking about. <laughs> um, you know, we don't have much time left, and I'm upset because I could ask about a hundred more questions. There's just so much. Uh, hopefully, mm. we'll get you back on soon. But one thing I'd like you to talk about all the ways that people can reach you, all the things that you have out there if people are looking to explore your writings, what you do. Um, talk to us about that. Okay. So I am the Gluten-Free RN. So if you want to send me an email, it's Nadine, N-A-D-I-N-E, at glutenfreern.com. There's also a podcast that I've done, the Gluten-Free RN podcast, it's free. Anyone can listen to it, and they do all over the world. Um, I haven't done it in a couple years, but I have to tell say that everything is still very re- relevant, and all the research articles are associated with it are going to be posted, so you can pull those off. Um, anything that I reference is going to be available to you, so that's a good resource for people, and it's 
100% free. Uh, I am available for consultations. It's $200 an hour and I am busy every week. <laughs> so do call in and or send me an email or a text or whatever. And I will happily get you on the calendar if you're interested in a consultation. We'll look over your labs and review everything. And I will make recommendations. Um, and sometimes that, those recommendations involve finding another doctor for you or another practitioner or a different practitioner that you might need. Uh, so it's identifying things that you need. It's all about you. Um, and let's see, I wrote a book. It's called Donation, D-O-U-G-H Nation. Uh, nurses I enjoyed memoir. it very much. <laughs> Thank you for reading it. Um, it is a quick, easy read, and it's a nurse's memoir of celiac disease from missed diagnosis to food and health activism. Uh, so that's out. I'm working on a second, like I said, textbook. There's some research articles that will be published shortly. Um, I've co-authored a couple books, and I'm I'm available. It's, if people are find. looking for if people are looking for the publications when they come out, do you have a Facebook page or somewhere where they can go so th there'll be an announcement for them? Yeah, Facebook, Instagram, again, gluten free RN, and I'm there. Just uh, everything will be um, available as soon as it is published. We're really working hard to get things ready to go, but we have to have everything reviewed. It's a big process. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's takes a lot of time, but Very important uh, we're work. dedicated. Yeah. And we're trying at some point, we would love to get a community of people together that are, that need or want, um, especially as we get older, uh, where we can have a nice little community and not have to worry about other getting sick because other people are going to feed us. So if anybody's interested in that or has any ideas about how to make that come into fruition, please con contact me. So to say, so again, what you're looking for is a group to have a community of people who are on a paleo type diet or need to be specifically hundred percent gluten free. So um, we have a name for it. We have a thing where it's just something that it, I think, throw out every once in a while to, because we need the property and we need some support things. Um, and we need people, we need to know that people are interested in that because I, one of my ladies at one point came in and said, uh, do I have to kill myself because I'm going to go into one of these places and, uh, they're going to feed me gluten and I'm going to die. And I said, yep. Uh, there's no place that I'm aware of in this country yet that is a hundred percent gluten free or will guarantee to feed somebody 100% gluten-free. So and I'm a nurse. Nope. Yeah. So hospitals. Not here. Hospitals oh, gosh. also. Hospitals are the worst. I have a <laughs> shout out to University of Chicago Medical Center because I've been hospitalized there a couple of times. Good. And Good. They do. They have a, they actually have a celiac um, Center. division. They do. In their GI and they have been, they were actually, they give you a whole whole separate gluten-free menu. I felt like I was on a cruise. Well, Except you know, I that couldn't is... couldn't breathe or move, but other than that, I oh. felt like I was on a cruise. Well, that's a, unfortunately, it's not standard. That's not the no, standard of the country. So you got, you were lucky and you had sought out the best hospital for you. 
which not everybody has that option, right? Well, and I've been in other hospitals where it says very, very over my head on the chart on the wall and on the dietary orders, gluten-free, big, big, big gluten-free, and they bring me a gluten meal. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta be really watching everything all the time. Everything. Even in hospitals everywhere. So, yeah, well, I hope this people have found this informative and um, thought-provoking and uh, helpful overall. I have no doubt that they did. And I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, for those of you who do look up Nadine's podcast, every so much of what she talked about today, she goes really into great depth with a lot of those subjects. You're, you're, it's amazing what you're going to learn. When I started listening to her, I thought I knew pretty much. I was pretty cocky. I, I was wrong. I listened to her. <laughs> you I, do know a lot. <laughs> I listened to her and I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And now today, you know, I've learned even more about sex. So what can I say? <laughs> she could be a really interesting person to listen to. Nadine, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you I for having just me. love you and we we wish you all the best. We can't wait to hear more about those studies. Feel free to come on back on and tell us about them, you know, when they oh, come out. To. We'd love to hear anything and everything that's out there. Um, you take care and you we'll too. talk to you again soon. Thanks, Lee. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and thank you for being here today. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find me, Lee Bernstein, through my website at scd4me.com. Four is F-O-R. There's also links to other social media sites there if you'd like to connect with me on those. If you have questions, comments, suggestions for future shows, or if you have an SCD success story to share, write to me at leebernstein at scd4me.com. A reminder, I am not an SCD expert. Nothing on this show is ever intended as medical advice. Everybody's different. If you have questions about you and your body, always speak to your medical profession. In the meantime, I hope you'll always listen to your gut. I hope you'll stay happy, be well, and always be open to being everything life means for you to be. Take care.